Chapter One of Jesse James, My Father, by Jesse James Jr. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Things I Remember of My Father. I was born August thirty first, eighteen seventy five, in Nashville, Tennessee. I recall with vivid distinctness an incident that occurred in Nashville when I was about five years old. At that time, my father, Jesse James, was away from home. Dick Little was staying at our home during the absence of father. It was the night of St. Valentine's Day. While mother and myself and sister and Dick Little were at home, there was a sound as if someone was throwing rocks against the front door. Dick started to open the door, but mother suspected that it was someone who had discovered who we were and were trying to entice Dick out to capture or kill him. She would not allow him to open the door. Dick then got my father's shotgun from a closet. Both of its barrels were loaded heavily with buckshot. Before my mother could interfere to prevent it, Dick aimed at the door and fired the charge of buckshot, tearing a great hole through the door panel and splintering it. Dick rushed to the door and threw it open and ran out on the porch. In the darkness, he saw a man running around the corner. Dick fired the second barrel straight at him, barely missing him. The charge rattling against a lamppost on the street. We lived in the suburbs, and a great crowd that had heard the shots gathered to see what was the matter. Dick told them simply that he had shot at a burglar. We never knew positively who the mysterious one was that had frightened us so that night, but my father always thought it was a friend of his who lived near us. Little had the reputation of being somewhat scary, and my father believed this friend threw the rocks at our house with the intention of playing a practical joke on Little, and to see how he would act. The theory seems all the more plausible, because this friend came to our home very early the next morning, and his face was unusually long and solemn. Whoever it was who threw the rocks had a narrow escape from being killed. This dramatic scene of the shot fired through our door so suddenly and unexpectedly that night will never fade from my memory. It is one of the earliest recollections of my life. The first remembrance I have of my father was after we had moved from Nashville to Kansas City, a short time after this adventure of Dick Little's. We lived in Kansas City on East Ninth Street between Michigan and Euclid, on Troost Avenue between 10th and 11th, and on Woodland Avenue between 12th and 13th Streets. I remember those different homes in an indistinct way, although I have often visited them since I grew up. I remember very distinctly when we first came to Kansas City. We lived for a short time with Charles McBride, who was married to my mother's sister. At that time there was a large reward for the capture of my father, and I suppose he thought it unsafe to leave us at McBride's on account of the well-known relationship, and that detectives might take a notion to look there for him. My father came one day, I remember, and moved us away. I asked him where we were going, and he said, to another town. We went to the Doggett House, at Sixth and Walnut, and engaged rooms. We had been there only two or three days, when, as I was playing on the street in front of the hotel, I saw my Uncle McBride pass on horseback, and I shouted to him, "'Hello, Uncle Charlie. How did you get to this town?' He spoke to me and rode on. When I went home and told my father about it, he at once paid his bill and took us away from there. I have heard my folks tell since that while we lived on Woodland Avenue in Kansas City, there was a vacant lot behind our house, 
and the father of Constable Murphy, the county marshal, lived on the other side of this lot. At that time, Marshal Murphy was very anxious to capture my father, and nearly every night a posse would gather at Murphy's house and start out for the country around Independence and in the Cracker Neck district in search of members of the James Band. My father used to walk over to Murphy's house in the evening when the posse would be starting out and talk to them about their plans and wish them good luck on their trip. I told Mr. Murphy recently about this, and he laughed heartily at it. I remember seeing my father walking with a cane and limping while we lived in Kansas City. I have been told since that he did this not because he was lame, but to help disguise himself. My strongest recollections of my father are of the times after we moved to St. Joseph, Missouri. We went from Kansas City to St. Joseph in a covered wagon, or prairie schooner, drawn by two horses and another horse, always saddled, leading behind. Charlie Ford drove the team. I sat most of the time on the seat with him, and father stayed inside the wagon until we were well out of Kansas City. We crossed the network of railroad tracks in the west bottoms of Kansas City and drove up through Leavenworth and Atchison, Kansas. It was my father's intention, when we started, to stop in Atchison and rent a house. When we reached Atchison, we drove through the town and unhitched the horses at the edge of town. Father and Charlie Ford rode back through the town to see if they could find a house for rent. They came back very soon and said the people were watching them suspiciously, so they hitched up again and drove on toward St. Joseph. This suspicion of my father's was probably unfounded. He and Ford were undoubtedly stared at with the same degree of curiosity that any strangers on horseback would have been looked at. But at that time there was a big price on my father's head, and it would be strange if he was not suspicious. In St. Joseph we lived first in a house, the location of which I have forgotten. From there we went to the house on the hill where my father was killed. It was while we lived in this house on the hill in St. Joseph that I best remember my father. I was then six years old. I remember my father as a tall, rather heavily built man with a dark sandy beard. He was very kind to mother and to sister and to me. I remember best his good-humored pranks, his fun-making, and his playing with me. I did not then know his real name or my own. I did not know that he was concealing anything from the public or that he was in danger of capture. He was living then under the name of Thomas Howard. My name was Charlie Howard, but my father and mother always called me Tim. Father never called me by any other name than Tim. Charlie Ford, who was at the house a good deal of the time, went by the name of Charles Johnson. They claimed to be cousins. In those days in St. Joseph, Father always kept at least two horses in the stable back of the house. Father was heavily armed at all times. In the house he kept a double-barreled shotgun loaded with buckshot, a Winchester rifle, a forty-five caliber Colt's revolver, a forty-five caliber Schofield revolver, and three cartridge belts. He never left the house without both of the revolvers and the three cartridge belts loaded and some cartridges in his pockets. That was the way he armed himself when he went downtown. When he went away to be gone any length of time, he carried, in addition to this, a small valise full of cartridges. When on a trip, he carried his Winchester strapped on the inside of a large umbrella. After my father's death, we sold a great many of these things at public auction. The little cartridge valise 
brought fifteen dollars. We did not sell the revolvers or cartridge belts. T. T. Crittenden, Jr. has one of the revolvers now, which I gave him as a token of my friendship for him. My uncle, Frank James, has the other revolver. Two of the cartridge belts were stolen from the house by the people who crowded in after my father's death. The third cartridge belt I have now, and I shall always keep it in remembrance of my father. At this same auction sale, after my father's death, we sold a little cur dog for $15. I felt the loss of the dog very much. The dog was given to my father by his half-sister, Mrs. Nicholson, when my father last visited my grandmother's home a short time before his death, and father brought the dog to St. Joseph with him. He rode in his arms on horseback. My father was a great deal of the time at home while we lived in St. Joseph. He often took me with him for rides on horseback when the weather was fair. I generally rode in front of him, sitting astride of the horse's shoulders and clinging with both hands to the mane. Sometimes I would ride behind him and hold on to his coat. These horseback trips led away out into the country beyond sight or hearing of the town. I recall very distinctly that on one of these trips he sat me up on top of a rail fence, where I hung on by the stakes, and then he rode away and showed me how he used to charge the enemy when he was a soldier under Quintrell. With the bridle rein in his teeth and an unloaded revolver in each hand snapping the triggers rapidly, he charged toward me on the gallop, and I thought it was great fun. One day the home of a preacher who lived in the suburbs of St. Joseph burned down and the next day my father took me over on horseback to see the ruins. We talked quite a while with the preacher and his wife. We found out after my father's death that this preacher used to live in Liberty, Missouri, near the home of my people, and that both he and his wife recognized my father. But they kept the secret well. They could have earned the $20,000 by betraying my father, but they were loyal, as all friends of our family were in those days and in the trying times since then. The spring my father was killed, there was a great parade in St. Joseph in celebration of some public event. My father rode on horseback, with me in front of him, with the parade over its whole route. Leading the parade was a platoon of mounted police, and father rode right behind them. One forenoon, while my father was sitting at the window with me on his lap, he saw the chief of police of St. Joseph and four men coming up the hill toward the house. Father got up hastily and sat me in a rocking chair and told me to be very quiet. He ran out to the barn and in a moment had his horse saddled. Then he came back into the house and said a few words hurriedly to my mother while he put on his cartridge belts and revolvers, watching out of the window all of the time. He brought his Winchester rifle out of a closet and stood with it at the window, just far enough back so that the chief of police could not see him. The chief stopped in front of the house and put one foot and hand upon the fence as if to come in, and I saw my father take aim at him with the rifle. Then the chief evidently changed his mind and went away. In a moment more he would have been killed. My father thought, of course, that the chief had discovered who he was and was coming after him. We learned after my father's death that the chief was simply showing some strangers over the city and had brought them over the hill on which our house stood because it overlooked the whole city. My father used to hold me on his lap and talk a great deal to me about his adventures in the war. He used to talk to me about the James boys and would read to me the accounts of their adventures that were published in the newspapers. 
he used to read to me from major edwards's book stories about quantrell's band of guerrillas and show me the pictures i have only hazy recollections of these things of course but i remember that once he showed me a picture of one of the members of the guerrilla band who was living then and said laughingly that he had a good long neck to hang by in days that father was lounging around the house he often took the cartridges from his revolvers and buckled one of them around me and strapped one with a handkerchief around my sister's waist and would say that i was jesse james and that my sister was sam hildebrand i remember well the name sam hildebrand but i have never learned who he was or if such a person ever lived my father was always heavily armed and he told me that all the men went armed the same way i thought that was true because all the men i ever saw at our home were as heavily armed as he the morning my father was murdered we had just finished breakfast i heard from the front room the loud roar of a shot my mother rushed in and screamed i ran in after her and saw my father dead upon the floor and my mother was down upon her knees by his side and was crying bitterly my father was killed instantly by the bullet that ford shot into the back of his head he never spoke or breathed after he fell soon after the murder of my father a great crowd gathered outside the house my childish mind imagined that these were responsible for the murder and in great anger i lugged from its closet my father's shotgun and tried to aim it at the people outside but my mother took it from me end of chapter one